Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good to be with you. Sorry about that. Cut you off a drop again. Welcome back. Uh, a lot of listeners uh, are curious about your encounters with the late Mario Cuomo. We always, uh, you always mention that you don't really concentrate on local stuff, but I would bet you had a million different encounters with him over the years. Well, actually, I did, and in those days, I did deal much more with uh, local events with uh, with Mario Cuomo in various capacities when I was the executive of the JCRC of New York, and. Um, I actually was involved on his first trip to Israel, which he took in the first year as governor. He was also very close to Rabbi Mashevitz, Shalom from Queens, uh, really a lifelong uh, friendship. And while we don't all, didn't always agree on everything, the fact is that uh, he was uh, identified closely with the Jewish community and personally identified and uh, participated in many, many Jewish events and was... Um, you know, really an outspoken advocate against uh, anti-Semitism, against bigotry, racism. He was a very liberal governor, um, but uh, translated that into into specific accomplishments. Not everybody enjoyed his politics, obviously. I mean, in any right. community, you can have a, a split like that. But he, if you look closely, and again, whether you like the fact that government officials do this or not, he really helped a lot of Jewish neighborhoods. He absolutely did, and... Uh, he had very close relationships with a lot of the local leadership too. Yeah, no question about it. And um, <laughs> one of the uh, one of the interesting things that he always t- I think this was his line, wasn't it? His line that on Saturday I was a Shabbos guy and on mm-hmm. Sunday I was an altar boy, right? That right. was that was his routine. And and uh, how he many wasn't alone with that routine? Right, there were others as well, uh, right? First, right. But he, I think Colin Powell used that also. Maybe I don't remember if he was. <laughs> I don't remember what he did on Sundays. But anyway, <laughs> I remember what he did on Sundays, Mario Cuomo. And um, it, you've always said this, and I know it's overstating the obvious, but sometimes it's important to point that. I'll use the opportunity. You know, you have you have deep rooted relationships with a community. You're going to get along a lot better. And you know, you've always obviously been an advocate for open dialogue and trying to you know bridge gaps in that way obviously because of his roots there was a connection to the jewish world and also it's not because we agree with everybody on everything right but relationships have to be established with everybody and sustained and we have to think about things not just in the moment but in the long run uh, it is interesting that he really never ran for, for president, although he had been touted so many times uh, for it. It's something New York politicians often are associated with, these, uh, you know, the dream to run, but never really crosses the threshold to make the decision. Um, but he was, he was a voice, and, and we turned to him in the years after he was governor on specific issues when things needed to be said. Um, and I did see him after his uh, term, and he uh, maintained close relationships throughout. Right, and he likely would not have won the presidential Democratic primary, right? You never know. I don't know. You think his son... I predict who's going to win now. (laughs) You think his son could be the Democratic primary uh, nominee? The the operational word there is could be. So you wouldn't... There's no such thing as a long shot, in your opinion. Everyone's got another. Everyone's Clinton got. Clinton or, or Jimmy Carter or Barack Obama, not far shots when they announced their candidacies. And look I, I met Bill Clinton 
before he became, when he was governor yet, and was uh, thinking of running, and everybody said, who's this guy from Arkansas? It was quite a week in the state of Israel, to say the least. Bibi is being... Uh uh, touted as uh, one, of, one of the greatest political victors ever with all the victories that he had this week. Uh, try to explain all this. To us. Start with the, the Moshe Faglin thing. We thought that he was powerful enough and brought enough to the table to certainly be on any even short list from Likud. How did this happen that he's now out of the picture completely? Well, I think it's, uh, uh, there's a few things. One is that BB's uh, faction really controls the uh, the operation and uh, targeted Faglin. Uh, I think Faglin uh, went too far often for people, and uh, even within the the Likud ranks, and about fifty percent of them showed up to vote, which is a significant number in a primary uh, like this. Uh, so he obviously didn't have the troops that he could uh, marshal in, in this situation. It's also surprising that uh, Ms. Hattavelli didn't make it and others. So I don't know if it's a side of moderation within the party. I think that the top ten, for instance, are fairly centrist um, and and mostly associated uh, with BB. So you don't have so such a, a fractured uh, list. And BB obviously was delighted by the people uh, who were chosen. The surprises. Uh, were, were, I think, uh, Miri Regev, who placed in the top five, and Yuli Edelstein. Yuli certainly is seen as a uh, little right of center, but, a, but a, a moderate right of center, so to speak, and Sylvan Shalom made it, the Yalom. So it's not that the party shifted left or the party is abandoning the fundamentals. I think it was a statement by the members of Likud about the direction that they wanted to go and who they see as potential uh, victors. But it's hard to read too much into it at this point because Bibi's still not in the lead. He's more or less tied with uh, Herzog. It goes up a point down a seat. Um, we'll have to see the list that they put together, uh, how people will, will react to these lists, what the role of the new party with Cajalon, who's picking up people, some that are real, some that are not real, as we saw this past week. Uh, and then in two weeks or so, things will settle down to the real campaign. I think it will be very intense. It will be a touch and go. They look at the blocks now, and between the right-wing, center-right, and Haredi parties, they have a very big block. And could be a majority, you know, the, uh, yeah. a very large majority, not a simple majority. And w- where was Faglin last time around? Was he at ten, at fifteen? Well, he challenged for the leadership, right? And I, I don't recall exactly what the position he was in, but uh, uh, you know, they people in, in politics in Israel, you know, new parties pop up, new people pop up, then they get shunted aside. So, so with all the charges, the work with, to develop the, the internal party. With all the allegations of chicanery, with all the allegations that you know BB's crowd somehow fixed this Likud primary, you would simply say, if you looked at it honestly, uh, he he went ahead aggressively, meaning BB and his crowd went ahead aggressively to make sure Faglin would not get in, and Faglin was not able to match the task. He was not able to get the vote out 
the way BB did and uh, was not able to garner, you know, anything close to the support he's had in the past. Is that what you would say? Not to get in the top 25 places. And uh, remember also, look at uh, Donnie Danone. He challenged BB in the leadership race. And there were times when people said that that was a serious challenge and that he could win and that, uh. Yeah, the next star that he could. And, and, uh, he was pretty roundly defeated. It wasn't overwhelming, but it was pretty significant that he conceded within an hour after the polls. So what happens now to Danone? Well, Danone was already out of the, uh, cabinet, right? He was, he already resigned to the cabinet. What happens now with him and Faglin? Once the Knesset, this Knesset, I don't even know if it officially dissolved yet or not, but once it does, they're out. That's the end of it. They will not be members of the next Knesset? They will not be members of the Knesset. We have to see if the lists, uh, you know, BB has some appointees in the lists, uh, but i uh, sure you won't be Fagelin or, or Danone. He fired Danone, if you remember. Right. Deputy uh, Defense Minister. So Fagelin and Danone, at this point are already waiting for the next round of elections. <laughs> They're waiting for someone to call for new, new elections. <laughs> right. And, 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 you know, this happens each time. But Israel has a revolving door political system where right. guys go out, come back, go out, come back. Uh, look at the Dichter, Avi Dichter, who came in number 20, a very fine man, and but was in previous governments, not, not Likud governments also. Uh, so he was out for a few years, and now he's back, and others... Also, there is a tendency to have uh, timeouts for political leaders and uh, members of the Knesset in particular, and then some of them come back and some stay in the wilderness forever. Yeah, it would be, and that would be an interesting study, comparing the U.S. and Israel, about who's able, how many percentage-wise bounce back in terms of political careers. Well, or it's true here, too, Nahum, that there are people, and I know political advisors who have told candidates, after if you know to go make money, take time, give speeches, rebuild, and then come back, and people then see him as a new face or her. As a yeah, new but face. I can't even think of a good example of that, unless you mean more on a local level. But I, I can't even think of a good example of that. I mean, may, is Hillary a good example of that? I don't know. Well, she will we'll find out. Right. But also, members of Congress. There have been members of Congress who were out and then came back, you know, to win again, and you don't know until. I mean, it's just not a consistent pattern. But there are those who believe, and especially in Israel, who believe that you need to take time out. And, and look, it's very demanding. It's, it's, Israeli politics is very intensive, especially if you're in an important position or as a minister. And some people just get tired. What really surprises me, and I had discussions twice over the past few days with very serious people, and both of them are considering running for office. I say to them, why, why would you do this? You both occupy very important influential positions. You're consulted. You're, you know, seen as, as, as having an impact as it is. There is something that draws people and, and good people also to, to government. Errol Margulies, who, who uh, you know, was a high tech, right. very successful entrepreneur. Uh, you know, he's in government and, and, even if they're not in key positions, i.e. ministers and stuff, they they feel that people answer the call to serve. Yeah, I'm sure plenty of people told Bennett and Barakat and all these people that they had no reason to go into politics. Right. And, and if you have you seen uh, Bennett's latest uh, commercials, yeah. very tough stuff that he's doing and talking about the, those who appease opposed, as opposed to those who stand up. Well, is he filling that niche as Likud moves more to the center, or that's we will have to see that. It's uh, a lot depends on how Cajalon's party is viewed. 
Is it going to be just another dash rats flash in a pan one time uh, party, or is it going to be something different? Is Kahlon, does he have the personal standing that, say, Sharon did when he created Kadima? Um, and we'll see who else he attracts. As, as there were the reports that, he, that Galat was joining, but it turns out that he's not, or so far is not. Uh, the political system will be the political season will be very interesting because the stakes are high. You know, with all the events going on in the world, people know that this election will be critical. It will be critical vis-a-vis Iran, vis-a-vis the Palestinians, with the ICC, with the, what happened this week at the UN. All of these things uh, and the domestic security situation—they're going to weigh who they think can make a difference, and it will be a very important statement on their part. The, uh, so on, on one side, it's going to be a Herzog and Livni, as you said. According to the Jerusalem Post, I don't remember who wrote this, uh, Netanyahu could not have a better running mate than Edelstein. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. He's, uh, you know, he was Speaker of the Knesset. He's a Russian Jew. He's religious. He uh, is some, uh, moderate compared to some of those who are more extreme, but very uh, definitive in his positions. And his popularity, which I think was a surprise to some, that he came in so high that he'd be alone, he'd beat others in the part who are, you know, stalwarts of the party. Uh, he started out with Sharansky and then went to, with Likud. So I think it's a it's a very interesting development that he scored so high. Not so surprising. Is it possible that Eli Yishai is going to end up on the Likud list? I don't see it. Uh, his party has not yet crossed the threshold. Uh, and meaning that uh, for a seat to, to get a seat, they right. raised the threshold, right. and he was one of those who voted for it. Uh, and if he crosses the threshold, that's the equivalent of four seats. Uh, any party that doesn't get that, uh, those votes are really uh, wasted and are portioned out. But the, um, the likelihood is—I I don't see him joining. We could yet, but it's not an impossibility. They think. I would guess that many times during Rabavadja's life, you said to yourself, once he's gone, there will be a lot of infighting between Derry and Yishai, right? There was a lot of fighting during his <laughs> lifetime. Why shouldn't there have been afterwards? <laughs> but this has gotten... I, I don't know that people would have predicted quite the dramatic nature of the release of the tapes and the right. embarrassment that this caused and the dissolution of the party. The, the, well, not of the party itself, but of the membership, all of them resigning en masse. Uh, even though the Knesset's not in session, so I'm not quite sure why they had to do it. But there's talk that he'll be back and that there's a lot of pressure being brought to bear on him to uh, reassert the leadership in the, of the party. We'll have to see. Very but, interesting. It's really fascinating. Unbelievable. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web. JMTheAM.org. Special good morning to those who are tuned in on our NSN app, which gives you the opportunity to comment on what's happening. Just go to our home screen of the app, and you can comment on what's happening as you listen in. Uh, and a big hello to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com, who continue to provide thousands of articles on a daily basis for people to uh, read up on what's happening in this world of ours. And if you're one of those people that prints out thousands, well, I shouldn't say thousands, but many articles before Shabbos, check them out at JewishWorldReview.com. The um, 
we talk about, I'll leave the political arena or at least the election arena in a moment, but I just got to ask you, now that it looks like it's essentially official that Jeb Bush is going to be in the race for U.S. president, any thoughts, um, especially vis-a-vis the uh, Jewish community and the state of Israel? Well, he's going to make, uh, I think, a very strong outreach to the Jewish community. He had a good ties with the Jewish community in Florida. Um, I think it, one can anticipate, given the moves that he made over the last few days, resigning from all the boards, both commercial and private, you know, uh, uh, organizational boards, that that is a preliminary step usually taken when somebody is going to run, and he's created this exploratory committee. Um, I think his his participation will be welcomed by uh, most of the community. Interesting. Uh, yeah, a lot of people do like him. There's no question about it, not just in our community, but many others <clears throat> as well. A lot of stories this week, as you alluded to, and a lot to talk about. I thought one of the most significant things, and I'm wondering if you agree, was the North Korean leader alluding to the fact that he's, rel- re- that he's willing to sit down and have some type of summit with South Korea. Did you find that significant? Well, the South Koreans originally proposed it, and uh, it's it's not quite so surprising. You know, the Chinese are getting tired, the Chinese people especially, are tired of carrying this burden. There's supposedly some reassessment about it. The economic conditions in the North are really terrible, and there's no prospect of them uh, rapidly improving. It could be a ploy because of all the bad publicity that he's gotten uh, that he would uh, suggest this, or, and that he would go through the. Even if he, he did it, it would be more pro forma than uh, substantive, because he can't. His his future would certainly be very much in doubt if you really opened up uh, North Korea, which is one of the worst dictatorships in the world today, uh, and one of the worst economies, if not the worst in the world today. So it's it. it, it you know, I, I think you got to get behind the headlines, see what the realities are and what the real prospects would be. You know that we have 30,000 American troops on the Korean border. People forget about the, you know, how much we spend, how much we do to defend there, and in, still in Europe, our presence in Germany and in uh, supporting NATO and, and the participation uh, still carry over from uh, the Cold War era. But this is is a huge investment on the part of the United States. So there's no, I don't think that there's anything immediately in the offing in terms of the major shift, but a merger of the countries would would drag the South Koreans into a huge financial obligation. We'll have to see if the people really want that. See, it's funny, though. I, I took it differently. You've always talked about how Iran is the role model for North Korea, and he, meaning in North Korea, has seen the benefit of Iran staying in dialogue, quote unquote, with the U.S. I thought that was simply his strategy, you know, get in, get into you know summit mode, and you know, keep us as his nuclear capability continues to improve, just you know, keep postponing everything. Well, uh, I, I said that first, that uh, you know, given all the bad things that he's gone through. And the fact that he saw some retaliation, et cetera, that he figures the best route is to put on the sham performance while uh, continuing. I mean, there's no sign that they have let up on any of the aggressive actions that they've taken, just like we see that Iran hasn't let up on any of the the uh, aggressive actions 
that they have. In fact, this week they posted pictures of IRGC along the Lebanese Iran Revolutionary Guard leaders at the uh, Lebanese-Israeli border. We see them stepping up shipments uh, and, and uh, to weapons to Hezbollah and Hamas. The, the fact that the Mashal was in Iran after being in Turkey. So Tur- Iran, in many ways, influences what happens in, in North Korea. There is this uh, relationship that applies to the missiles, which are based on the Nodang developed in North Korea, but the nuclear program and other things, which is certainly there is a cooperation and interchange. And we saw it in Syria. Remember, the, the nuclear reactor was not being built by Syria. It was North right. Korea and Iran building it. Someone said to me yesterday, the, the one thing saving the Jewish community in Iran is this summit mentality. As long as there is dialogue Iran feels that they can't put pressure on the Jewish community of Iran. If that ends, then God forbid, who knows what could happen. You agree with that assessment? Uh, it's a very sensitive subject, and um, I would say that it's a mistake to say there's no pressure being brought to bear on the community. Uh, they do function. They don't leave, except in very, very small numbers for reasons I frankly do not understand or do understand but don't think are, are wise at this time. Uh, I think that there are a couple of things, not just the, the negotiations, but they know that the world is looking about how they treat the Jews, because if you see what they're doing to Christians, you see what they're doing to gays, you see what they're doing to many others with public executions, in fact, uh, accelerating them so that there's one execution every eight hours, and the, the persecution of people for professing uh, their beliefs uh, has increased and continues to increase uh, in Iran. So I think that there are things, but I frankly would not discuss it on the air. Um, All right, the U.N. vote. Israel formally expressed its deep disappointment to France for voting for a Palestinian resolution at the U.N. Security Council calling for a full IDF withdrawal to the pre-67 lines by 2013. The... um, 2015. So now... What is the, uh, what was the vote? And how did it get to the UN? Like, I mean, you've warned us about this process and we seem, you know, every week or, or every few weeks we talk about, you know, what you go through as somebody who observes and then gets actively involved in trying to prevent certain things. How did this get, uh, to the United Nations? Well, uh, as you said, it's been muted for a long time and we've talked about the process. It went in and they backed off and backed off and went in. So the question, really is why did the Palestinians go ahead with it at this point? One is obviously to express their frustration to embarrass the United States perhaps by forcing a veto. Um, I don't know that he really wanted to pass this resolution because he really wants to go into the International Criminal Court, which is his next step, and he is applying and they're signing other conventions. Who goes? That that's a, 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 a case against Israel, against the prime minister, against it's soldiers. Not a case first, they got to become members, so they signed the Rome Statute, and now they have to go through the process of applying. So, a, we don't know that they apply because they're not a state. You can only be a, the members of the International Criminal Court have to be states. Israel and the United States, by the way, are not members of the International Criminal Court, um, and therefore not under their jurisdictions. But the PA would be, and the PA, I think, has been warned several times that they're doing it because they want to bring more crimes charges against Israel, and they think further isolate Israel and use it as a propaganda base. The court rejected it once already, but now because if they would be a member, they would have a different standing to bring a case. 
but the, the, the likelihood is that a case will be brought against Hamas and, and the PA, because they are partners, uh, for, de- for what is clearly war crimes, meaning shooting from civilian populations at civilian populations, yeah. human shields, all the other things they did during the war, before the war, the cross-border raids, the attacks on civilian populations. Those are real war crimes, and they could, uh, they could easily be, be uh, the one in the docket, and uh, Israel not. And Israel, I think, can, has so much proof and so much justification for what they did. While the court may not be uh, exactly neutral when it comes to Israel, <laughs> I was wondering what word you'd use. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, you know that they would be able to to um, uh, to I think put up a real defense that any court, even a biased one, would have to at least uh, seriously consider. So this move may backfire on them. They certainly got a strong reaction, and one has to credit Secretary Kerry's man's their powers, but the administration as a whole, in their public stance against what they did at the UN with the at the Security Council, and now with the ICC, uh, the statements were as strong as we could have asked for. The statement was that we will not allow them to be members. What was the statement? That uh, warning them about the consequences of uh, of going and saying why they think this is a, a deleterious move. And uh, there have been hints even about this the fact or about it backfiring on them, uh, but saying that this will disrupt further and that the United States is opposed. And you know that Schumer and others have said that they will uh, cut aid, and and uh, that's not something the administration, I think, wants or anybody in the, uh, in the international community wants us to see them further dependent or one day just resigning and saying to Israel, this is your responsibility as the, quote, occupying power, you know, to feed people and take care of people. The fact is the international community of the $400 billion they pledged, the, especially the Arab countries, the donors, only have paid $100 million of it. Hmm. So it's really a, a strange circumstance. But just to go back, let's separate the two parts. One is right. the Security Council decision could have been made because he believed he would win that he miscalculated. He thought Nigeria and Rwanda would go with him or that North Korea or South Korea would vote with Me- him. Meaning win and then only a U.S. veto could stop it. And force a U.S. veto. Right, and he needed nine votes for that and got eight. You get, there are 15 seats. You need, you need to get nine affirmative votes. Right. So a no or an abstain is the same in, in impact. So there were no eight. Was a stronger statement and only Australia and the United States voted no. So there were eight yes, two no, and five abstentions. And five abstentions. The, the, the disgraced party in all of this, <clears throat> I think, and their behavior and will require us to, to address this is France, right. which now says in its latest iteration just this morning from Kerry they want to convene an international peace conference in Paris, like the Madrid conference, but bigger. They want to try and elbow out the U.S. and, and become the prime party in this. It's a prestige issue. Uh, for France, for Olan, and uh, most of all, the driving force is Foreign Minister Fabulous. So that was France. The, the heroic move was by uh, Goodluck Johnson, the president of uh, uh, Nigeria and the president of uh, Rwanda, both of whom, the last minute, uh, and got calls from Bibi. Uh, uh, Goodluck Johnson is a Christian. He visited Israel twice in the last year. Uh, we have had close contact with him. I spoke to to the Rwandan officials as well. Israel has done a lot in Rwanda. We and, and others have had very close ties with him, 
and uh, their votes were really uh, critical in this process, as was Korea. So assuming, let's say, that he was willing to do that, uh, he went ahead knowing or questioning whether he would get the votes. He knew that if he waited till January 1st, when the new members come in, like Venezuela and others, he would automatically have the nine votes. Hmm. Why didn't he wait? Yeah. So the answer, it could be one, that he knew there would be a U.S. veto in either case, so he wanted to get it out of the way, and and B, that he, he originally thought he would win up until that morning, and that and the next day was the anniversary of the founding of Fatah, and he had a big rally in Ramallah, and I think he wanted to be able to come with this announcement or use it to rally people against and, it, and deflect the attention from his failure and, and the failure of his non-government, which long ago lost legitimacy and was not elected. It's all part of his process of bypassing negotiations. He does not want to negotiate. And... Uh, you always mention the Palestinian street. Does this matter in the street? Does this make headlines in their newspapers? Oh, absolutely. And it becomes a rallying point in the, the critical, they're very critical of the United States, the uh, West, and, um, and, and may be used to justify, as we know, that there are almost daily stabbings and incidents uh, as they try to keep this on a low simmer, the, not to have a full-fledged intifada, which I don't think is likely. But... Um, but to keep this, uh, and by the way, it's affecting tourism. Incidents of the last couple of months, I is affecting it very much. I'm not, I don't know I about hope. I don't know about the numbers, but I hear the attitudes out there. It is affecting people. It is affecting numbers, and we are uh, working on it. We met with the minister of tourism, the outgoing minister, uh, last week again to to come up with ideas and things to help uh, promote Israel. Uh, Israel is still safe. These are very isolated incidents. The, the crime rate is very low. Uh, people, you know, there are so many things when you see the contradictions, you see all the focus on, on the threats of boycott by academia in Britain, right, and, and the business boycotts and the threats not to buy products. And then the statistic came out yesterday that trade with Britain is up 14% <laughs> a year. So nothing ever makes sense. And, uh, and the threats of the boycott and the ambassador of um, England to, to uh, Israel said, you know, mock the, the idea that there was, uh, in fact, there is, and, and it's dangerous still. But the facts uh, that speak, it was like Turkey, where trade has gone up consistently. I don't think it's true anymore, and especially after this week with Turkey. So, you know, you can't predict what the uh, Palestinian leadership is thinking or what they will do. What, what is it that motivates them? He's in competition with Hamas now. Mashal is becoming much more aggressive. Visited Turkey, visited Iran. We believe he's trying to build a coalition between these radical elements, together with uh, uh, Qatar, uh, which is now moving more towards Egypt and Saudi Arabia, and I think worries them, uh, with Hamas and with um, uh, Iran, obviously. So, uh, and and you see that the Fatah continues their praising of the killers of at the shul yep. and calling them martyrs and and uh, naming things and all sorts of praise. Uh, uh, the moderate Fatah. And they called it the the, uh, the uh, they called it an occupation synagogue and occupied Jerusalem and, and named them as martyrs. Uh, all the things that we've seen in the past, it doesn't stop despite their promises, despite Abbas's assurance. Bottom line, Abbas does not want to negotiate with Israel. Abbas wants everything to be done by the international community. 
They want to build the pressure. He miscalculated, I think, in part on this move. I know that there were key people in his entourage who argued against it, tried to get him to back off. He didn't, and uh, now he's paying a price for it. Interesting. Uh, finally, is the army still on the Gaza border or not? I know, obviously, there's always some type of presence there, but I know residents are complaining, at least based on the articles, that the army is, quote-unquote, leaving. Is Israel taking a more uh, a normal uh, stance in terms of security of the border, uh, normal meaning what was going on there before the Gaza war? Yes, the presence is very strong. This was only a question of having people, soldiers in every community, and the decision was made by a local officer. By the way, this is not the, the chief of staff because the, they are empowered to make decisions about shifting manpower, and the communities there felt that these, because they're close to the border and they don't have the protection of Iron Dome, uh, that they, they uh, needed the presence, and I think the decision was to to rescind it and to to continue the uh, uh, the circumstance. But we've seen um, Hamas uh, escalating or minor incidents along the border. Nothing serious. Hamas has said that they would rein them in. In fact, but uh, we don't know to the degree to which that is true or or uh, um, actually being in place. You know, Israel announced that they have new new underwater defense barriers, <laughs> both in the north and in near Gaza, so that if, uh, you know, we had that one attack by sea, so this would stop um, uh, an underwater attack by frogmen or others, and that we know that Hezbollah, for instance, is buying undersea equipment and delivery systems, so the, the, it's being used uh, both in the north and in the south to, to uh, secure the, uh, the border, but they also bought Hezbollah, which is the new focus right now, because they bought these Borkin missiles, which have very short range, four to five kilometers, but carry a large warhead, and they would use this to destroy buildings, because their new strategy is not just the missiles, but to cross the border, to try and intimidate the people, threaten people. Uh, there were attempts to cross the border, as you know, over the last two weeks, uh, so we're seeing a slight escalation. I don't think Hezbollah wants an all-out war, they're not going to do it. Also, on the Israeli side, um, the IS, the uh, Islamic State troops, are coming closer towards the uh, border in the Golan, uh, where you have al-Nusra now, but, and, and then the resistance forces of, um, of Syria on the border of Israel. And Israel obviously has a very strong uh, presence. If you notice, 76,000 people admitted to have been killed in Syria this year. Wow. <laughs> and yet... You see a session of the Security Council, of the, of the Human Rights Council, of anybody talking about it, seeing who, who, uh, who they're doing. You see that ISIS in Syria alone executed 2,000 people, including 120 of their own members. And that's numbers we know, let alone that, that we don't. And they trained, there was just this revelation about how they trained children eight years old and up. They brought Syrian soldiers to them and beheaded them and the kids had, and they had to pass the heads amongst the kids oh god so you're training hundreds of kids children teenagers and this came from an eyewitness a participant who, who escaped but the 120 people that they killed is people who tried to, to leave because once you're in ISIS you don't leave and or didn't follow uh, what they wanted and we're talking about such a brutal horrific uh, party in, in fighting this war uh, and and yet the reaction still is is one of unsurety about what to do, how we have to face off in these guys, and what 
uh, Assad, who's also been much more brutal in and is having a hard time recruiting people, and therefore they've now uh, really done an all-out search for those who have avoided service and are trying to scrounge up uh, additional troops also because they, they lost a lot. And we're seeing the activities, by the way, of Iran spreading throughout the region. I told you about the fifth capital, Sudan. Yep. We're seeing more and more activity. We see the Houthis now seeking control in Yemen of the long-range missiles in uh, Ahran, and, uh, which is in the Sana'a governorate, and, which is the capital. They're going into the mountains where the major military sites that were held by government troops. And uh, with these missiles, I mean, they could hit any of the Gulf states, the Gulf states in the region. And uh, I think that the, the uh, aggressiveness despite, quote, negotiations and all the promises to the, to the contrary, is, uh, is increasing in the, the Iran Revolutionary Guard's presence in Lebanon. The military advisors, they admit to a 1,000 in Iraq, plus elite units, plus airstrikes, plus a billion dollars in military aid, which is what they admit to in Iran, alone than what they may really have there. All right. <laughs> it's about the real nature of the, of the shifts that are taking place in the region. There is a lot going on, to say the least. Malcolm, we will continue next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks for joining us. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update Fridays right here at JM in the AM. Erev Shabbos, Parshas Vayechi, candle lighting at 419 on this Erev Shabbos. The U.N. Security Council Palestinian Resolution called for Israel to withdraw by late 2017. I said 2013, then I said 15. It was 2017. I apologize for that confusion.